Uh, very glad to see you all this morning. There's just a very, I don't know, a very sweet feeling to today. I don't know if anyone else is getting that, but I just feel like the Christmas season and uh, the man responsible for it is, it's really doing the work today. So uh, my name is Graham Kelly, if you don't know me, and I would like to tell you a little bit about myself. So uh, my dad's name is Michael Kelly, and his name was given to me as a middle name. He and I are very similar in a lot of ways, uh, good ways, bad ways, and otherwise ways. Uh, if you want to know, just ask uh, my mom about his YouTube videos, and then ask my fiance about mine, because um, we are pretty similar. Uh, his father's name was Hansford, which is maybe a name you haven't heard before, um, but he went by Hank. And he was one of 12, uh, 12 kids that grew up on a ridge in rural Kentucky. Uh, my older brother got his middle name from my papa, as well as a little red flyer wagon. Hank's uh, father's name was George Washington Kelly. And I don't know much about him, but I do know that he was rarely tender and often drunk. He likely gets his name from the fact that one of our ancestors served in Valley Forge during the American Revolution alongside the GW you are probably more familiar with. Now, some of you may have started to wonder, why are you getting a lesson in my ancestry? Uh, well, when you start to look into the people that you came from, you will likely find things that have traveled through generations, as I mentioned before, good, bad, and otherwise, and that made their way into you. Names, traits, and features can pass from father to son, from mother to daughter, and so on. And it's true of me. I'm sure true of you, and it's definitely true of Jesus. We're in the middle of our Christmas list series in which we are looking at what Jesus' genealogy says about you, about me, and primarily, though, about him. And it may seem like an unimportant part of the Christmas story. I know I'm very guilty of just skimming it, right? So begat, 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 okay, move on, right? Um, but there are some really uh, important truths that we can find if we take the time to take a closer look at the people who are included in that list. Uh, now, I'm finishing up our, uh, the series today, but Pastor Crystal started us off by talking about how Boaz models Jesus' role as our Redeemer. Megan, last week, uh, did the same with David and Jesus' role as our Shepherd. And today I will do so with a man you may not be familiar with at all, named King Josiah. Uh, today we will see how Josiah's role as a king who brought the nation of Israel to a place of repentance was a reflection of how Jesus would do the same thing for each one of us. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you likely have heard the word repentance, or in the verb form, repent. Um, thrown around uh, in sermons or in just how people speak, uh, though it really only has one definition, it, it kind of comes it, to mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, to some, it's just a fancier way of saying, I'm sorry, right? If you repent, you're just saying, I'm sorry. To others, it's what street preachers shout at people as they walk by on those YouTube videos that you get, right? Repent, repent. Uh, and to others, maybe it's just something that they've been told they're supposed to do, but no one has really stopped to explain to them how to do it or what that looks like. 
So before we get into the Christmas list, I want to stop for just a second and get us all on the same page. Repentance is the act of changing one's behavior. Though it often takes place at the same time as asking for forgiveness, they're not the same. When we ask to be forgiven, we are leaving our past mistakes behind. But when we choose to repent, we're saying, now that I've left that behind, I'm going to go in a different direction. Right? I'm not going to return to what I am sorry that I did. Uh, for example, we repent when our friend tells us that the jokes we make sometimes come across as cruel and not funny. And so we think twice the next time we're looking for a laugh. We repent when our boss confronts us about our habitual lateness, so we set our alarm earlier. We repent when we choose to tell the truth after keeping up a lie for a long time, regardless of the consequences. Repentance is a word that can easily be turned into this crazy spiritual thing when the reality is that it's a very simple process. Now, I said simple, not easy, so don't accuse me of saying this is no big deal. Uh, repentance is not easy because change is not easy. And at its core, that's what repentance is. Change is especially not easy when the behavior has been going on for a long time. And we may or may not have even known that it was wrong when it started. Well, that's the case for one of Jesus' ancestors. The section of Jesus' genealogy that we will be looking at uh, is found in Matthew 1, verses 10 and 11. And they say this. There should be a verse on the screen so you can see the names that I'm trying to pronounce as they come up. But uh, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And our focus today is going to be King Josiah, but before we can talk about him, we need to talk about the two kings that came before him. His father and grandfather. These two men were, in a word, wicked. They were no good. They, were, they really led Israel further and further away from God with every choice that they made. Um, they led, him, led them further away from the God who had chosen them, from the covenant they had made with him, and, that, and the law that he had given them to lead. And so, excuse me, um, they introduced evil practices to uh, Israel, like child sacrifice and temple prostitution. They defiled the temple of God in many ways uh, and set Israel on a course for destruction that could truly only be delayed never avoided. These two men had set up cycles of depravity and sin that threatened to corrupt Josiah's rule, just as it had theirs. However, as we will see, that did not happen. Um, Josiah's father, Ammon, was actually assassinated uh, by several of his officials just two years into his reign. So it only took two years for them to realize this is not going in a good direction. We need a hard reset. Uh, so they ended up assassinating him and placing Josiah on the throne when he was only eight years old. If you know anything about Josiah, likely that's what you know. Because there's uh, children's Bibles like to draw a picture of him in like overly big robes and a crooked crown because he's a little kid on the throne. So that's often what we remember. Um, and what's interesting is he then later served for decades of his life, which should tell us something about how Ammon was doing. 
He was only allowed two years, and an eight-year-old was given decades worth of ruling. So he definitely was not doing a good job. Well, um, when Josiah turned uh, 18, he ordered for the temple of God, which had been converted into a temple of pretty much everything but God, to be restored and rebuilt. He put a priest named Hilkiah in charge of the temple restoration. And during that process, Hilkiah made an incredible discovery. Sealed away inside the temple was the scroll of the law. These were God's words given to Moses on how the nation of Israel should live, worship, and serve him. After Hilkiah read the scroll to King Josiah, the king tore his robe in anguish because he realized just how far they had strayed away from God's path. He set about immediately trying to change things, hoping that it wasn't too late to save his nation. And God's response was this. In 2 Kings 22, verses 19 through 20, he says uh, to Josiah, You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against its city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on this city. God heard his genuine cry of repentance and offered grace in return. Now there are two important things to notice here. First, God's grace in this situation was not forever. Great sin had been done by his people, and there were consequences that simply could not be avoided. And Josiah did not just repent with his words, but with his actions too. He didn't just say with his mouth, I'm sorry. He lived with his life the fact that he wanted to change. In the next chapter, we learn about all the work that Josiah put behind his words when he went about the land of Israel and did what he could to stamp out the evil that crept in. Now, as I was reading this, one thing that stood out to me as interesting was it doesn't say, and Josiah ordered that blank happen. It says that he went about and like he destroyed this temple, he sanctified this area, he drove out these, like it seems like he really took this personal as the king and said, I will go and I will uh, perform this repentance myself. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 23, 24 and 25, it says this, Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics and household gods, the idols and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He did this in obedience to the laws written in the scroll that Hilkiah the priest had found in the Lord's temple. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. What a powerful final saying about this man. There has never been a king like him before and never since. Josiah was a man who was confronted by the cycles of sin and disobedience that his father and grandfather had established. But instead of falling into them himself with excuses like, well, this is the way we've always done it, or I can't help it, it's just in my blood. He asked God for forgiveness and for a chance to change, and he meant it. 
God gave him grace and mercy as a result, and he was able to save the whole nation, if only for a generation or so. Well, now this brings us to Jesus. As we have mentioned in each sermon so far, these people in Jesus' genealogy reflect uh, who he was going to be one day for us. Just like the Israelites had Josiah, we have our king um, in Jesus. Uh, And just like Josiah had inherited a fallen, corrupted kingdom, stuck in cycles of sin, Jesus took charge of a world that had fallen through Adam's sin and uh, was not able to save itself. Just as Josiah went about his kingdom, destroying idols and urging his people to turn back to God, Jesus walked among us and did the same. As it says in Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus not only wanted for, uh, to be our king, he wanted to build a new kingdom and invite us to live in it with him forever. Now, this is where the similarities between these two men begin to stop. Josiah was just a man who was just as in need of saving as the rest of his nation. Jesus, on the other hand, was without sin. Josiah's repentance delayed the consequences that were headed towards Israel, but Jesus defeated death and hell and the grave for us forever. Josiah died long ago. Jesus is alive today. The repentance that Jesus calls us to is to a different degree than what Josiah did. We were headed to destruction just like the Israelites, based on our own choices and our own nature. But Jesus took that punishment on himself instead, sparing us entirely if we will enter into his kingdom. It is similar, these two scenarios, but they are degrees apart, right? Josiah did a temporary thing as he could as a man, Jesus did an eternal thing as he did as God himself. Now that sounds really awesome, but what does it mean to enter into the kingdom? How do we live as sons and daughters of the king of kings? If we take a look at the account of Josiah, there are three distinct steps that he takes in order to bring Israel back to God. And you and I can take those steps, uh, same steps ourselves, thanks to the fact that Jesus has taken our punishment and given us the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. And yes, those three steps are alliterated. We'll start with our first R, recognize. In the account of King Josiah, we see that it took hearing the word of God uh, read to him for him to realize that repentance needed to take place. He had been raised in a culture that had forgotten God and the covenant that they had made with him. Josiah would not have been able to repent if he hadn't first recognized that he needed to change his ways. For you and I, this means doing a couple of things. First, just like King Josiah, we need to find out what God's word says. In other words, we need to read the Bible. Plain and simple. If you're not reading the Bible, you're missing out on an opportunity to hear straight from the source. What does God want for you? What does God think of you? How does God love you? How does he want to lead you? So that's the first thing. Next, we need to talk to people who are listening to God and allow them to, see, uh, to help us see our need for repentance. It will take time to build relationships that have the kind of trust in them where you can be that open, but that work is so worth it. When you have a person who knows you, 
that you know they love you and want the best for you, to be able to say, hey, I feel like I'm missing something. What are you seeing in my life? What can you help me identify? It's huge. It often leads to things that you never would have considered um, being raised up. And it's, those things are often things that we feel the weight of, but we don't really know where we're carrying it. And when someone can bring, the, bring light to that, it allows us to cast it off and walk lighter. <clears throat> um, but it is worth it. And thirdly, we need to spend time in prayer listening for what God wants to highlight in our lives. As we learned last week, <clears throat> Jesus wants to lead us like a shepherd, but we must listen to his voice. Our second R is repent. Now that we have recognized our specific need for repentance, we need to actually repent. Repentance is the simple act of deciding to change. It is not apologizing as we often think. It is choosing to do something different uh, than before. In the account of King Josiah, after he recognized Israel's sin, he actually gathered the leaders and the people together and read the law to them. He rededicated Israel to the covenant they had made with God. And this was repentance. It was more than words. It was a commitment to change. For us, repentance could look like confessing what you are committing to change to a friend, right? Telling them, hey, I've noticed this in myself and I don't want to do that anymore. That's not who I want to be. That's not how I want to live. I just want to tell you so that you know that that's something I'm going to be working on. That simple act of including someone else um, can do so much for, uh, for keeping you on that path. Because when we choose to isolate, when we kind of keep those things to ourselves, our enemy takes that opportunity to convince us that it's not that big of a deal. One time's not going to hurt. You can go back to that. You'll change later, right? He has excuse upon excuse upon excuse. But as soon as we include someone else, as God intended, as we include uh, members of the body, it allows us to have that extra strength, that two combine their strength to become stronger than the one. Um, So I I do want to quickly make uh, a plug for our Celebrate Recovery group that meets here on Wednesdays. If you don't, yeah, whoop, whoop. If you don't have a community at all that you feel like you can be open and uh, talk about these things with, Celebrate Recovery meets here every Wednesday at 645, and built into that group is people that you can trust that what we hear stays where it's at. This, is, this doesn't become um, the talk of the town tomorrow. Uh, there are people who are in a similar position who are ready to listen. Uh, so if that's what you're looking for, maybe consider it. Lastly, we have our final R, restore. We have recognized and we have repented. The last step is to restore. Josiah went all over Israel, tearing down shrines of idols and rebuilding them to altars of God. He threw away those destructive objects and practices to make room for worshiping God. And we can do the same thing. uh, This could look like throwing away the alcohol, drugs, or porn that we have been using and abusing. Or it could mean getting rid of music, movies, or books that are inappropriate or that remind us of what we are trying to repent from. Whatever it looks like, we need to burn our idols uh, that we have created in our lives before we can move on. But we can't just stop there. We should replace it with things that draw our attention to God. Now, what I'm saying with this is 
We can often set ourselves up for failure if all we do is give lip service to the change we want to make and never take that first step of saying, okay, this thing is something I no longer want to be a part of, so I need to get it out of my life, right? Whatever it is that, that God is leading you in repentance to, there might be something that you just literally need to get rid of to where that's not always sitting there as an opportunity to go back to the thing you're trying to change from, right? With all of this, wisdom and prayer should be liberally applied. Uh, but uh, don't, don't, don't hold on so tightly to uh, something that is material if it would mean that the change that you need to have in your person can't take place. Though this may seem like a lot to do, we can take encouragement from the fact that Jesus, our King, has already done the hard work of defeating sin and giving us the grace and power to throw off those old ways and bad habits. He has rescued us from the disaster that we were all headed towards, and now he's just waiting for us to return to him. And he isn't waiting for us to return so he can beat us up for being so rebellious. He's waiting for us to return so he can welcome us into his kingdom with open arms as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Revelation chapter 3, 19 through 20 puts it this way. Uh, now in this verse, Jesus is speaking to the writer of the book of the Bible and he says, Jesus says to the speaker, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Repentance so often can feel like this curse word that you throw at people that you disagree with. But repentance is an amazing gift. Imagine not having the opportunity to change the things that in some cases are literally killing you. God offers us that opportunity to change. We don't have to be stuck in those same cycles that maybe we didn't even set up. With Josiah, he inherited a kingdom from his father and grandfather that was already in the toilet before he started, right? There may be things in your life that you can say, yeah, I inherited that from my father or grandfather and it has started me off on the back foot. But as we see, it's not the end of the story. We have a new father. We have a new king. We have a new identity in Christ, and we can walk in that. We don't have to be stuck in who we were raised to be or who, we, who our blood has led us to be. We have an opportunity to change, and that change, though it can be scary because all change is scary, we should take comfort in the fact that the one who's calling us to change what he wants is for us to just open the door, to let him in so that he can have a meal with us as friends, that he can be with us again, not so that he can parade us about, that he can fill us with shame, that he can uh, grind us into the dirt for what we have done. He brings conviction of sin. He does not bring condemnation of sin. If you're feeling shame around something that you need to repent from, I want to tell you right now, that is not God shaming you. God is saying, yeah, it's wrong. Here's the right way to go. But if you're feeling that shame, that's not him. That is our enemy trying to keep us down by saying, you, you can't even, you don't deserve to repent 
because of what you have done. He says, I'm always at the door. I'm always knocking. You've never done anything that has scared me off. You don't have to chase me down. You just need to turn the knob and open the door. So if you feel shame, if you feel that barrier of, well, maybe other people, but not me, I'm telling you right now, that's not what his word says. That's not what his spirit does. That is not him. God's correction is the result of love for us. He can see the destruction that we are headed towards and he wants to spare us from that pain. So as we finish up today, I would like to ask you these questions. And while I do, if our worship team could come back up. The first question is, where is Jesus not the King and Lord of your life? Where is he not the King and Lord of your life? Where are you still practicing those old ways? And secondly, how can you let him in and surrender to him? What would that look like? What does it look like to burn those idols, to re-sanctify those altars? Once we've done that, this week, I want you to really take it on yourself to do the work of actually repenting. It's more than words, right? Repenting is an action word. It, is, uh, it involves some doing. So, repent. Find time to say, this is where I've been headed. I don't want to go that way anymore. God, I want to go your way. And here's what's amazing, is God uh, gives us a promise along with repentance. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 19, it says this. Repent then and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out. Not so that your sins may be made public for you to be reminded of forever, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I'm sure there are some of you in here that that phrase, times of refreshing, sounds like a distant dream. You're like, it's been so long since I've been refreshed. It's been so long since I've felt like I could do anything but stress and worry and feel heavy burdens. But God is saying, repent, and I have a time of refreshing for you. So if you are feeling that right now, we're going to have some prayer teams up. I'll be over here with, uh, with Charlie, and then we'll have a couple of ladies on this side. If you want prayer, if you want to find that, that person where you can say, like, this is where I want to repent, we're here. We're here to pray with you. We're not here to air your dirty laundry. We're here to fight alongside of you, to link up shields. So if that is you, if you are looking for that, please come up to the front during this last song. We would love to pray with you. We would love to repent with you. Um, and yeah. So I'm going to pray us out. We'll have one last song and some prayer. Uh, and then if you're able, please stick around and help us move some chairs. But bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for times of refreshing. We thank you that they are just repentance away, that you love us, that you want to be welcomed into our lives as a friend, that all it takes is our decision, that you're not busting down any doors, that you're not ripping and tearing, but that you are waiting for us to realize what it is that we are doing and what we should be. So God, I pray for that right now for each person in this room, whatever it may be that you would reveal that area that needs repentance.
and that you would give them the courage to take that first step, that they would be able to trust you, that you will walk alongside them as their shepherd, as their redeemer, as their king. So God, we thank you for all of this. We thank you for your son and what a great gift he was. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.